Great. Well, I got a little dust in my eye. How about you? Isn't that wonderful? That's a great song. Let me invite your attention to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Marvelous thing about Almighty God is that He's not left us without a witness. Uh, Almighty God has not left us without some clear indication of who He is. And He's not subtle about it either. Not subtle at all. Uh, He's left no doubt. He's not like Dolly Parton, by the way. Dolly Parton said in one interview that she doesn't mind all the dumb blonde jokes. One, she said, she said, I'm not dumb. And number two, I'm not even blonde. <laughs> I guess she colors her hair. Uh, is, what she, is that what she does? Okay. Oh, she's got a wig. Okay. All right. Maybe I should try that. Uh, but uh, anyway, there, she, there's no, uh, you know, it's just we're not clear. I, I mean, here I'm, I don't know. I'm not a great big Dolly Parton fan, but I don't know. And it's not real clear. Uh, uh, those facts about uh, Dolly. But anyway, God has made himself very, very clear as to who uh, he happens to be. And he does that in Genesis 17 and throughout the scripture by telling uh, his people his name, who he is. And a name was very descriptive of someone's character, their history, and their ways. Uh, And we could go through a litany of names uh, this evening that would prove that point. If I mention the name Billy Graham, for example, you think about evangelism, you think about staying on top of current trends, someone that preached the gospel and lived his life without any moral compromise or any question about his integrity. If I were to mention the name Adolf Hitler, well, that's all I've got to say about that, okay? You know what that means. Well, God has names, and he uh, indicates who he is through his names. And in Genesis uh, chapter 17, in verse number 1, he calls himself Almighty God. And the Hebrew text is El Shaddai, God Almighty. That means his might in everything he is is far above everything else uh, and far above your need, far above your circumstances, far above your concerns, all the burdens and worries of your heart and your life. Uh, I like to translate this, the God who is enough. The God who is enough. And that's really who he is, is El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God who is enough. Let's begin reading in chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As For me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. God is the God who is enough. And there are several ways to describe that in the text. One, he's good enough. God is good enough. And there are several things about him that are good enough. In verse 1, his expectations are good enough. Look what he says in verse 1. And and you may, after hearing what uh, Abram and Sarai did, Uh, this past Sunday with Hagar. You may want to drop your jaw after reading verse number one, but he says here, I'm almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. He's just come off a single act that has ruined his life in the Middle East, and God says, all right, it's time for you to walk before me and be blameless. After your failure, after your foolish decision, after the compromise in which you engaged, 
in chapter 16 with Hagar giving birth to Ishmael and the perpetual warfare between the sons of Ishmael and eventually the sons of Isaac, walk before me blameless. In other words, Abram, your past is no limitation to your future. Your past failure does not have to define your future obedience to me. I don't consider you a perpetual, eternal failure. I have higher expectations for you. You can meet them. You can do it. You can get done my will. You can do, verse number one, Abram, despite what happened in chapter 16. And I sure hope that you will take that to heart as well. No matter how you've embarrassed yourself or your family or your God, no matter what kind of failures weigh on your heart and mind, God Almighty can raise you up to walk before Him and be blameless before Him. He can do it. His expectations are good enough. But then his timing is good enough too. Abram in verse 1 is 99 years old. God made the promise to him quite late in life, 24 years before this when he was 75. And he will fulfill it around this time about a year later. Now I know that there are many of the patriarchs that live longer than we live typically today. But friends, 99 years old is really, really old even back then. It really is. And so God's timing is such that God did not feel hurried or compelled to fulfill the promise immediately during a time of Abram's life and Sarah's life where it would just be natural to have children. Because that's not what he's wanting. He is not wanting a natural movement. He's wanting a supernatural movement. Now, you need to read the entire scripture when you're studying a particular subject. You need to trace it and get accustomed to tracing it from Genesis to Revelation. If you'll do that with Abram in the timing of Isaac's birth in chapter 21, you'll find the Apostle Paul. Comments on this in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And he explains why it is that God waited till Abram was 100 and Sarai was 90 years old for Isaac to come. Now, when um, uh, Isaac was promised, Sarah was beyond childbearing years already. And then God waits another 25 years for her to give birth. It's not Sarah that he's worried about. He wants Abraham to be beyond childbearing years. Not that the man bears the child, okay? He does get the flu and that's worse. But, um, or a cold, man cold. You heard about that? It's terrible. But uh, in any case, uh, he, uh, he wants Abram to get beyond natural, normal years for a man to father a child. And the way Paul puts it in Romans chapter 4, verse 19 is this way. He said that Isaac came and was conceived when both of their bodies were just as good as dead. When it comes to childbearing. In other words, when Isaac was born, nobody would think that it's just merely a natural birth. They would conclude God had to do that, and that's how God operates in our lives. When God does something in our lives and wants us to do something, do not be surprised that the only way it can get done is if God does it. When we do God's will and we've got God's vision for our life, if it is indeed from God, it will be of such a nature and of such a size that it will be impossible unless God pulls it off and intervenes. 
And that's what you got with Abraham and Sarah. Listen, his timing was good enough. There's nobody who thinks that Isaac's birth was just an ordinary childbirth. So his expectations are good enough. His timing is good enough. His guidance is good enough. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. This is the third time he's reiterated the promise. And so Abram knew God's will back in chapter 12. It was reiterated in chapter 15. It's reiterated in chapter 17. God will do it three more times. Usually when God directs us in his will, there's not a rush. We don't have to be impulsive. God will confirm it and give us time to think through and time to pray through, time to seek him, time to know him, time to walk with him and to seek godly counsel, you see. Uh, and, And that's what God will do in our own lives. Usually impulsiveness does not come from God. In fact, I would almost say it never comes from God. Impulsiveness comes from the flesh and sometimes from the enemy as well. And so did did you note here? He said in verse 1, walk before me. Listen, we walk with God. We don't run with him. We walk with God. We do not run with him. And so this is what we do with uh, God. God is good enough. But there's a second thing. God is also clear enough. God is clear enough. Verse number three, then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, the following in verse four, God speaks and God directs. The reason some people don't hear from God is not because God is not speaking. Oh, he is. It's that they may not have the skills and they may not have the sensitivity. They may not have the interest to hear from God. A.W. Tozer said, God never speaks to the frivolous man. God doesn't speak to the superficial. God doesn't speak to, or or the one who is superficial and frivolous and careless and reckless uh, will not hear the voice of God. But the one that is submissive to him before he knows what God requires, uh, the one that is seeking him hard and and, uh, with all of his heart, everything given to the will of God, that person will hear from God. Now listen, I've got about five different things that you can do to uh, hear from God and ways to do that. But usually... I have found I don't usually need to go through those five different items to communicate to people how to hear from God. I usually don't have to go through a list of five things. There are five practical things that you can do. They're all biblical. But usually I've got to communicate just one thing, and that is submit. You get your heart submissive to God. You yield before Him, and you tell Him, Oh God, I will do whatever you want me to do, no matter what it is, before I know what it will require. You'll you'll know God's will. You'll know God's will about a life's mate. You'll know God's will about a vocation or a major. You'll know God's will about the decisions you've got to make, about a job opportunity, a move opportunity. You will know what God wants you to do if you will master one thing, and that is submission to God. God doesn't fail the one who submits to Him. And that's what Abram has done. He's given up this great palace in Ur of the Chaldees. He's given up fame. He's given up prestige. And he is now living in a tent in a warlike environment where he's had to whip four of the most powerful local kings. He's already abandoned to the will of God and he gets God's direction in his life in verse number three. Oh, marvelous. God will do that. He doesn't play hide-and-go-seek with his will. Now, we've got frailties. 
we've got difficulties. Sometimes we can get stubborn. Sometimes uh, we're, not as, um, uh, we're not on top of our game. But if we're submissive to God, God is able to take all of those frailties. God is able to take all of those hindrances in us. And as long as we're submissive and willing to do what God wants us to do, God will not fail to be clear. Listen to me. No Christian should walk in perpetual confusion. No Christian should be confused month after month and year after year about the will of God and direction of God in his or her life. I have found that usually when people are, a couple of things are at play here. One, they may not have submitted to what God wants them to do. Number two, they know what God wants them to do and they just don't want to do it. That constant confusion, that constantly making mistakes in and out of one relationship and another, in and out of one job and another, in and out of uh, a variety of commitments and another, one financial failure after another, one failed investment after another. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian should not be experiencing that. God doesn't lead people into constant failure and confusion. Oh, no. I know a poor fellow. I love him with all my heart. But he can't work for nine months at one job. Since we finished college together, my goodness, how many years ago was that? was 87, so it's been, what, 32 years? He has had at least 32 jobs. Now, good for him. He's got uh, nine rental properties, and so he's able to have an income. But there's excitement when he starts this job. And after a few months, he starts picking apart the employer, being bothered with them, being upset with them. And after a while, the employer is a twin brother to the nearest demon. And he quits and moves on. One after another. I don't think this friend of mine has worked more than 12 months for a single employer in 32 years. And I'm thinking, hold on just a minute. If he's so bad, why did you choose him? You know? Uh, fellas, by the way, don't make fun of your wives ever at all about her choices. You were one of them. Okay? Come on. Come on. All right, don't make fun of her. You were one of her choices. Okay? So that's what I'm saying here. That's what I'm saying. There should not be this perpetual confusion. God is clear enough. He's good enough. He's clear enough. But there's a third thing. He's strong enough. Verses 4 through 8. Read there with me. Here's what he says. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Now watch this. No longer shall your name be called Prince, Abram. But your name shall be called Father of Many Nations, for you shall be the Father of Many Nations. Can you imagine Abram walking into the field house or the field tents where all of his hands are? He's got more than 300 of them, and they're powerful and they're strong. They whipped those four kings back in chapter 14, tore them up. Those boys are still licking their wounds after all these centuries. Just tore them up. And he walks in and says, fellas, you all can't call me prince anymore. Well, what do we call you? Call me um, father of many nations. What's that you say? Father of many nations. Father of creation? What? Father of many nations. That is a Diet Coke through the nose moment. But that's what God says. 
God is strong enough to make this man who does not have the child a promise a man who is the father of 14 million people on the earth today through one son. That does not include all the tribes that come from Ishmael. Later in chapter 25, after Sarah passes away, he marries Keturah, has other sons. He is the father of many nations, is who he is. God is strong enough to pull off the enormous and the impossible. And do not be surprised that when it comes time to do God's will in your life, or even our church life, it is much bigger much more shocking, and even sometimes more disagreeable to you than you ever, ever imagined. God's call, God's direction, God's will in your life will almost always entail the implication that you have got to change and adjust yourself and realign yourself with God. Most likely when God leads you or leads us as a church, what he's leading you to do will not align with what you already think about God. Oftentimes what God wants to do in your life will require you to change, to shift, to realign yourself with God. And if you get so stubborn and so set and so narrow in your way, you might miss God. Oh, you got to be careful. Of missing God. That's why you've got to know the Word. That's why you've got to know how God worked in people's lives. Ladies and gentlemen, our ability to walk with God and to be fruitful and to be productive as a people in a church requires us and necessitates a flexibility to walk with Him according to His Word. Just like Abram. Because he is strong enough. And God, listen, God does not accommodate people's weakness. God does not accommodate people's stubbornness. God does not accommodate people's narrowness. God does not accommodate the frailty of humanity when he shapes his will in their lives. God does his will according to his own strength. So when God gives his will, when God gives his will to a people, ladies and gentlemen, it lo doesn't look like us, it looks like him. That's what God does. Mm, done preach myself happy. So he's strong enough. He's strong enough to take this old man and make him 14 million Jews. That's what he does. Well, there's the second thing. He's also strong enough not only to multiply his descendants, he's also strong enough to convert Abraham's descendants. And that's despite the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Romans 9 through 11 talks about the conversion of the Jews. It says that they were hardened, they were elect, but then they were hardened. God hardened the elect, Israel. And the gospel went to them and they were so hard, it ricocheted off of them and went to the Gentiles. And the Jews look back at the Gentiles and they're joining Jesus and they say, hey, I want me some of that is the whole argument of Romans 9 through 11. That's what they'll do. And they will grasp on to their God. And Romans eleven twenty six 26 says, then all Israel will be saved. Listen, God knows how to convert a stubborn people. Never, ever, ever are we permitted to grow inward and selfish with our walk, with our resources, 
with our church, with our ministry, with our priorities. We are never permitted by God to grow inward and give up on the world. Never permitted to. Right here in this text, he's talking about the conversion of descendants. So he's strong enough to pull that off. But there's a final thing, and that is God is worthy enough. Now, verses 9 through 27 describe in some very vivid and dramatic terms just how worthy he is. And folks in here are mature, and we can talk about this. Uh, In verses 9 through 14, he's worthy of the physical pain of circumcision. And in verses 18 through 21, he's worthy of Ishmael's demotion, is who he is. Verses 9 through 14 God commands Abraham, uh, Abraham now, now that he's changed his name from prince to father of many nations. Well, as a sign of this, I want you to circumcise all the males in your uh, household from the infants to the oldest male. Now, you can just imagine he walks into those guys with their tents and says, here's what we're going to do. And they say, we're going to do what? You're taking this religious thing a little too seriously. I mean, you can hear it, can't you? You can hear it. That's verses 9 through 14. They were to endure physical pain and most likely were not able to work for about three or four days. And then verses 18 to 21, God cries out and says, Listen, God, I know you're going to give me a descendant, but I really wish it was Ishmael. Can it be Ishmael, please? He's got a heart for his son. And God says, No, you've got to put me before family. Instead, it's going to be someone from your body and Sarah's body is what's got to happen here. And so, Abram was called by God to make family loyalty secondary and to put his will first. Because God is good enough. God's clear enough. God's strong enough. God's worthy enough. God is always enough. I think I've told you about the woman who struggled all of her life from childhood to her later years financially. She made it, but she scrimped and pinched and clawed and did all she could to raise her kids um, without her husband. And she worked into her late 70s, almost to 80, and uh, was finally able to retire, and they took care of her. It wasn't a very, uh, wasn't a very prosperous prosperous retirement but she was going to be able to make it and to celebrate they took her to the beach she'd never been to the beach and she gets out there and sees the Atlantic Ocean and she says thank God there's finally enough of something there is always enough of God Manly Beasley used to say and you have as much of him as you're willing to pay the price for That's how much of God you've got. His clarity, his strength, his goodness, his movement and work in your life. The God who is enough. Father, thank you that you are enough. And you've made yourself available to us in Jesus.